Uh, Baylife, it's so good to be with you, to be joined by our families. Uh, my name is Travis Lowe. I serve as the teaching pastor here, and service is going to look a little bit different this morning. Uh, it'll be a little bit shorter. Uh, there'll be a lot more ups and downs. You're going to get a workout. Uh, but I'll just tell you, I grew up Episcopalian, so until you add kneeling and the sign of the cross, you haven't begun to understand what a workout during a worship service looks like. But there's a couple announcements that I, I just want to set before you before we dive into the scriptures together and begin this cycle of, of hearing God's word and responding. Um, first of all, thank you so much for, for those of you who have continued to give in support of the ministry of Baylife and, and the work that God's doing here at the church. We've made it easier than ever if you want to partner with us. Uh, just by giving of tithes and offerings, you can go to baylife.org slash give. Uh, you can do that via text message, or you can even just send your gift in through the mail. Uh, another thing to make you aware of uh, is that we have reached the point in our year where we vote to reaffirm our elders as a congregation. That'll be taking place next Sunday after service. So if you're a member of Baylife Church, uh, attending in person or online, we'd invite you to stick around and uh, help us continue to affirm the, the leadership that God has placed over us in our elders. And then finally, uh, just something to make you aware of that we've been working on for the better part of a year now. Uh, we're going to be relaunching our foundations program as a church. Now, if you haven't heard of foundations, it's basically the way that we do theological education. It's the way that we do discipleship around uh, the, the historic truths of the Christian faith. And we're going to be launching it with a seminar so on February the 13th, uh, a pastor and an author named Josh Butler is going to be speaking here at the church on evangelism in a skeptical world. And Josh is known for writing a number of books that kind of engage people who are skeptical of the Christian faith and help them wrestle through some of the bigger questions about how can a loving God send people to hell, why, why is God... Um, have wrath, and, and even issues of the crucifixion. So Josh is going to be joining us here in the sanctuary. We're going to be doing it in person, socially distanced, or you can register online at baylife.org foundation. So that'll be a hybrid class. Just some things to make you aware of. So with all of that being said, I kind of want to jump into one passage of scripture that we will be hovering around throughout the rest of our time together. It comes in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, after this lengthy discussion of love that Katie read a portion, for, a portion of for us. Paul says this, he says, So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Now, when I was in elementary school, there was this thing called Blockbuster. I don't know if you've heard of that before. But pre-Netflix, pre-Hulu, pre-Disney+, pre-all of the streaming services, you actually had to go to a store and rent a movie. And I loved Blockbuster when I was a kid. I loved the way it smelled. I loved the feeling of going in and seeing the walls of movies and, and knowing the possibilities were limitless. But when I was in elementary school, when I was a kid, my parents would take me on Fridays to rent a movie for the weekend, and I would always rent the same movie. In spite of the limitless possibilities of Blockbuster, I would always rent this movie called The Warriors of Virtue. Now, there's a few movies that were produced when I was younger in the 80s and the 90s that have become classics. Movies like The Goonies or Back to the Future or The NeverEnding Story. These are, these are the sort of things that people still watch today. Warriors of Virtue is not one of those movies. Nobody watches this movie now. It basically follows the story of an awkward kid in elementary school, which fit me to a T, who ends up swept away into this magical world full of kangaroos who do martial arts. 
So it's basically a Ninja Turtles ripoff with kangaroos in it. And I actually, I looked up the Warriors of Virtue the other day, and I was on the, the Wikipedia page for it. And in the, in the little section about uh, reception, how was this movie received, it, it says Warriors of Virtue received overwhelmingly negative reviews. And then it cites this one film critic who was invited to a screening of it, and he was so offended by how bad the movie was that he got physically ill and threw up watching it. And it's not because it was a gross movie. It's a kid's movie, right? But it was just that bad. And yet I loved The Warriors of Virtue. And it introduced me to that term, virtue. It's not a term that we use very often anymore. It's not a phrase that gets thrown around in our society. But for a long time, especially in the early generations of the church, Christians wrestled with this idea of virtue. It was first really discussed by the Greek philosopher Aristotle, but Christians looked at Aristotle's writings and said, you know, he's on to something. At its heart, the idea of virtue refers to dispositions of the soul or habits of the heart that lead to a life well-lived, a life lived in honor of God, a life lived in love and service to our neighbors. And there are a whole host of virtues that early Christians held out as being important. Honesty was one of those virtues. But they also said, you know, it, you are not a virtuous or an honest person if you tell the truth one time. It, you become increasingly honest as you live a life dedicated to the truth. And as the Spirit makes you into the image of Jesus, who is the truth. Virtue is something that we can grow in with God's help. It was Thomas Aquinas, the medieval theologian, who pointed to our passage that we'll be spending our time in, in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Paul's list of these three things that remain, faith, hope, and love, and he said, you know, these are theological virtues. These are habits of the heart and mind that shape us into a people who love the Lord, who honor him with our lives, and bear witness to his goodness to our friends and neighbors. And so in kind of the last service of the year, as we turn our back on 2020 and we move on to 2021, I want us to think about these virtues. What would it look like for us as husbands and wives, as families, as sons and daughters, what would it look like for us to grow in faith and in hope and in love as we move into a new year? That's what we'll be exploring as we walk through God's word together. You know, Paul begins by saying that faith is the first of these great virtues. And I think it's probably fair to under start here, but, but here's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid that many in our wider culture, and maybe even Christians, have a bad understanding of what faith is. Mark Twain famously said that faith is believing what you know ain't so. And I think many of us would agree with him. We think that having faith means believing in things without evidence or in spite of the evidence. It doesn't matter what the evidence tells me, I just have faith, even if all the evidence contradicts what I believe. But that's not really how the Bible talks about faith. That's not really how Christians have understood faith for the last 2,000 years. It's the great Anglican theologian J.I. Packer who points out that biblical faith is more like trust. It's more like confidence in a person who is trustworthy and worthy of our confidence. You know, I, I trust my wife because she's true, proven herself to be trustworthy. I have confidence in my parents 
because they've proven themselves to be people on whom I can rely. And faith is no different. Listen, we've just finished as a church going through the book of Exodus. We spent a year in it. And again and again and again, God proves himself worthy of our trust. Faith is not a blind leap into the dark. God has shown us that he is worthy of our confidence, that he can be believed, that he can be trusted, that we can have confidence in him and we will not be put to shame because of it. Paul tells us in Ephesians that ultimately faith is God's gift to us. He bestows it on us. It's the door into the Christian life. It's the source of salvation, but faith isn't static. Remember, I said this, we can grow in virtue. We can grow in faith. We can come to have greater confidence in God. We can come to trust his word more. And so, as we look towards the year ahead, and we look at these three theological virtues, let's start with faith. Let me ask you, as we, as we begin to move into this song, to take some time, to take some time to evaluate yourself, to, to evaluate this last year, and ask yourself, how can you grow more deeply in your faith? How can your family grow more deeply in your confidence in God and his word? So Paul, in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, gives us these Three theological virtues, these habits of the heart and mind that are meant to shape us by the Spirit into a people who lead lives who honor the Lord. Faith, hope, and love. Out of curiosity, last night I Googled what is hope, which is never a good idea because Google is not a reliable source of information. And then I pulled up the Wikipedia article on hope, which is even worse because I've been told since college that Wikipedia is definitely not a reliable source of information. But I actually ended up liking the definition. Wikipedia defines it like this. Hope is an optimistic state of mind that is based on an expectation of positive outcomes with respect to events and circumstances in one's life or the world at large. I actually think that's a a fair definition. When we use the term hope in our day-to-day vocabulary, that's normally what we mean by it. We think that things are going to go well, and so we are optimistic, whether it's your friendships or your relationships or your marriage or your finances or the world at large. Our hope tends to come from a sense that things will go how we want them to go. But that caused me to think about 2020 (laughs) overall. It's been a really rough year. It has been a really, really rough year. We've had a raging pandemic, political division, a long overdue reckoning on race. People have dealt with job loss, economic downturn, the stress of being quarantined at home. There have been so many points where this year has felt hopeless. And and maybe you've felt that, the temptation to despair. But it also caused me to think about the fact that 2020, in many years, has been something that I think has revealed the idols, especially among Christians. It's revealed the things that we've placed our hope in when we ought not to have. Because what I fear is that for many of us, 
We don't have a wide enough view of the scope of history to give us the sort of hope that we find in the scriptures. We are far too short-sighted. We hear that definition, and we think, well, we're optimistic that things will turn out well in our life and in the world because we're hopeful that a vaccine will be developed in time, or we're hopeful that our political candidate will win an election, or we're hopeful that that person that we've been talking to might turn out to be somebody who would be willing to go on a date with us, and maybe that'll lead to something more, and we can spend the rest of our lives with this person, and we're hopeful that our financial situation will turn around, and all of our hope is tied in these temporal, short-sighted things. But that is not biblical hope. It is not tied to something so immediate. It's not bound up in a four-year election cycle. I'm reminded of Paul's words in 1 Thessalonians 4. He's writing to a church that has suffered loss. There have been people in the congregation who have died. And so he says to the church in Thessalonica, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For as we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, those who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry, a command, the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first." Paul writes to these Christians, encouraging them to have hope in the face of death. But he doesn't tell them to ignore what's in front of them. He doesn't tell them to ignore death, but he says you need to look beyond the casket. You need to look beyond the immediate. Because Christian hope is not rooted in the next few days or the next few weeks or the next few months or the next few years. It is rooted in the long game. It is rooted in the fact that Christ who has conquered death, holds the keys of all eternity. And that Jesus is coming again. And his kingdom will have no end. And that truth, that truth enables us to face every season with hope. Not blind to the reality of pain or ignorant of the challenges we face, but hope because we know the fate of the universe rests in the strong hands of the one who has defeated sin and death and the devil. And so we can be hopeful even when the moments in front of us feel hopeless. And we can grow in hope as we grow in faith and confidence in this Jesus who defeated the grave. So as we step into this next song, I want to invite you to reflect as families, as fathers, as mothers, as husbands, as wives. Reflect on how your hope has fared this year. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you maybe some places where your hope was misplaced and ask that same Holy Spirit to remind you again of the steadfast hope that you have in Jesus. So in the passage that Katie read for us earlier in 1 Corinthians 13. Paul goes through a lengthy description of why love is to be preferred above all things. 
even among the greatest of the spiritual gifts. He says, you could speak in the tongues of men and angels, but if you don't have love, it doesn't matter. You could give your body to be burned by the fire, a reference to martyrdom, being willing to die for your faith, but if you don't have love, it amounts to nothing. And then here in our passage, 1 Corinthians 13, 13, he says, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these, the greatest of the theological virtues is love. Have you ever wondered why that is? Why is it that love, above all of these other good things, is to be preferred? So I think maybe the reason for this is because love is the only one of the three virtues that is eternal. It's existed since before the world was made. It will exist after sin has been defeated. Let me explain what I mean by that. A few years ago, uh, when I was still heading up the college and career ministry here, we, we did like a seminar on the Trinity. I'd been getting a bunch of questions from college students who just didn't understand it. It felt like a difficult math problem that didn't really make sense. And so I was getting ready to teach like two or three different lessons on the Trinity and I felt woefully underprepared. And so the night before, I made the decision to go to my favorite diner and get the bottomless coffee and just read and study and work on my notes. And so I had this stack of books. I had my bottomless cup of disgusting diner coffee, which I love so much. And I had this large book that was in front of me that I was reading and it said in big, bold letters, the Holy Trinity. And this gentleman from the booth in front of me walked up to me. This was pre-COVID when you didn't scare people as much by invading their personal space. And he said, young man, you don't actually believe in the Trinity, do you? And I said, old man, yes, I do. I didn't say that. My parents raised me better than that. <laughs> but I said, no, yeah, I actually do with all my heart. I believe that that is who God is. And he said, oh, come on. And what unfolded was a lengthy discussion over many cups of bad diner coffee. It turned out that he had grown up a Jehovah's Witness, which is a, a, a fringe group that rejects the, the central doctrine of the Christian faith, the Trinity. And as we talked for about 45 minutes to an hour, uh, we, we came down to this one question that I asked him. I said, what does John mean? in chapter one of his gospel, when John says, God is love. I mean, how does that work before God made the world? Before God has anything to love, how can God be love? John doesn't just say God is loving or that God loves us. He says, God is love and love needs an object. So how does that work? And he said, I, I'm not sure how it works, but there's, there's got to be an answer. And I said, there is an answer. It's called the Trinity. <laughs> That's how we make sense of a statement like this, because at the heart of the Christian faith is this belief that God eternally exists as three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. He is tri-personal and singular in essence at the very heart of God himself is the loving communion of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. God is love before he makes a world to love. And that's good news for us because it means that the world was not made because God needed us 
Human beings were not made because God is lonely. No, the Bible actually has better news for us. God didn't make us because he needed us. God made us because he wanted us. And that is profoundly good news. More than that, God's love doesn't just overflow in creation, but it overflows ultimately onto the cross. God shows his love for us again by sending Christ to die on the cross for our sins, love upon love flowing out of the very nature of God itself. Because God is the fountain of love from which all creation springs forth, it means that to grow in love, we have to draw near to the fountainhead from which it flows. It means that we will learn how to love best when we draw near to the source of all love. And because God is love, it means that unlike the other two virtues in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, love is eternal. Consider this, there will come a day when none of us have any need for faith anymore. There are actually people at this very moment who have no need of faith. It is every person that you know and love who has died and gone to be with the Lord. Why? Because their faith is sight. There is no need to trust in the promises of God any longer because God is with them and they are with him. Faith has reached its end. In the same way, when sin is conquered, when death and the devil have been decisively and finally defeated at the return of Christ, we won't have any need to hope. There will be nothing to hope for. God will dwell among us. Hope reaches its end. Faith and hope are temporary virtues that we need to live well in a fallen world. But when Christ makes all things new, we won't need faith or hope. Faith gives way to sight. Hope gives way to promises fulfilled. But love, love will be all that's left. God has made all things new. What will be left is the love of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit that we have been drawn into in salvation and which we will experience for all eternity in the glory of the new creation. Love will have no end. So now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three things, but the greatest of these is love. And when we love well now, in a way that reflects the love of God, we experience a a foretaste of the end of all things. So, we're gonna sing one more song. But before we step into it, I wanna invite you to reflect for a moment. We'll, We'll just play some music and you can take some time to pray or talk with your families, with your kids, with your spouse. I want to invite you to consider this virtue of love that that Paul calls us to and ask the question as as we face 2021, how can you love your spouse in a more Christ-like way? How can you love your children in a way that shows them God's love? Kids, how can you love your parents in a way that shows them that you understand how much God loves you? So we want to reflect on this, take some time to discuss it, pray over it. And after we've given you a moment, Mickey will invite us to stand and we'll sing one more song during our time together. So St. Paul tells us that there are three things that remain, faith, hope, and love. 
The greatest of these is love. And my prayer for you, Bay Life, is that this year, the Spirit would grant you grace to grow in faith, to abound in hope, and to ever more deeply comprehend and show the eternal love of God. Till your faith becomes sight, till your hope is fulfilled, and until all that is left is the love of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Go in peace, have a blessed new year, and we will see you in 2021. Take care.